Welcome to Mindset Reset Radio. I'm your host, Jess, and I'm on a mission to help female entrepreneurs like you get intentional in life and business. So if you're feeling stuck, you're looking for inspiration, or you just want to be reminded that you're not alone on this crazy entrepreneurial journey, you've landed in the right place. You can join our community of intention getters on Instagram at Jessica Thiefels, that's me, and you can learn more about how I can support you in business and mindset at jessicathiefels.com. Finally, if you love what you hear, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I'll be forever grateful. Now, sit back, grab a journal, and get ready to start living with intention. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Mindset Reset Radio. Today, we have Christina Mandlachiani. She's the co-founder of Mind Valley and has been in the personal transformation industry for more than 17 years. She's an incredibly talented international speaker, entrepreneur, artist, philanthropist, and mother of two children. She's also the author of The Transformational Quests, Seven Days to Happiness and Live by Your Own Rules, and talks about personal transformation, authenticity, understanding and accepting oneself, and finding a path to happiness. Finally, she was recognized, finally, let's not say finally, she was recognized as one of the top 10 influential people online making a difference in the world today and awarded as an influencer for change by the Global Impact Creators. What an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for being here, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So before we jump into this topic that I'm really excited about, um, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. You know, I was listening to the bio and I realized that one very important thing is missing there. I identify myself the most with uh, with a title I invented. It's um, Everyday Life Philosopher. So this is what I like the most. Uh, but uh, in uh, in slightly more recognizable terms, I am an entrepreneur and I'm an author. So these are the two, or the, a writer to be precise. These are the two the two words which are easy to to understand and place somewhere. And uh, but my favorite everyday life philosopher means that pretty much whatever I do in my life, I always write it off as I'm working. I'm walking in the park and thinking about life. I'm working. I've slept in in the morning. <laughs> I'm working. I'm you know I'm trying to to figure out life as it is. So that's that's very briefly about what I am. I love that. I love that. And it, it, it brings a sort of awareness to the idea that everything we're doing is affecting us in our lives, in our business, in what we bring to the world. And therefore it is valuable, whether we're sleeping in or taking a walk in the park. So I love that. Oh, it, it has the potential. Yes. But the yeah. question is, are we using that? Because most of us, as far as I know, and I've done that, are surviving on autopilot. Um, and, and that's a different life altogether. Yeah, very true. Well, we're not going to talk about living life on autopilot today, though maybe we should have you back on to chat about that. (laughs) I want to talk about how to be an authentic leader in your space. And I like this topic because so many of us entrepreneurs and listeners, I know we might not have, let's say, a whole company where we're like this, we're a CEO, but we're not a leader to, let's say, 20 employees but we are a leader in maybe in our industry or in our Instagram community or in our Facebook group where we're leading and guiding people. And I think it's so important to come back to this idea of authentic leadership. So let's start by, and I want to talk about why it's important, why it's powerful, but 
let's start by just like, I like to start with like basic definitions. Like how do you define like an authentic leader? How do I know if I'm being inauthentic? <laughs> well, it's it's such an interesting topic you you touched upon, and it's nice. I'm really grateful to you for saying let's define first because that's what I was going to suggest. And I want to uh, take a step back and uh, introduce you to the concept of buzzwords, mm-hmm. which is probably a lot of people know. The thing is that human human ideas, humankind's ideas, have been evolving for as long as we have been talking and thinking, and uh, every generation has a new fad that comes with it. Uh, so authenticity is one of those unfortunate words, which is very, very popular. Yet the thing with the fad words, with the buzzwords, is the trouble with them is that they come with a huge luggage. So another buzzword from a slightly different area of life, hustling, for example. Now, if you say the word hustle, you pretty much draw a picture of what it is. But if you were to look into the dictionary, say even 20 years ago, into the word hustle, the actual meaning of it is very narrow. So the thing with authenticity is very similar. The actual meaning of the word authenticity is incredibly narrow. It's actually just being real, real in your essence, just true to yourself. We talk about uh, authenticity and anthropology to some degree because, you know, cultures and and this kind of authenticity, but generally there's barely any research on authenticity, but it's a popular word. So it's an epithome of, of buzzwords, which is interesting because it has all the buzz around it and a lot of huge luggage. Yet um, the, the uh, core and the essence are not incredibly understood. So why I wanted to start with buzzwords is because, unfortunately, in my niche, personal growth, <laughs> we have a, a, well, it's actually not just in my niche, it's everywhere. It's, that's just how our brain works. It needs to simplify our life because if we have to take too many decisions and look at life from a very complicated angle, then uh, we'll just be exhausted. So obviously we get, uh, we get shortcuts, we get traditions, rituals, habits, the things that make our life easier. And buzzwords is one of those shortcuts cuts. You know, the moment you hear the whole story is being told, you hear somebody's being vulnerable and you know what people mean or you assume, but here's the trap because that's not the case. So just recently I was doing an interview with, uh, with another <laughs> beautiful woman and we uh, touched upon the word balance. And as we were talking about that, it, well, it became incredibly clear that what I meant by balance and what she meant by balance were two completely different animals. So I'm by birth bilingual child, and a lot of people are born bilingual. And the thing with bilingual is, is that people, kids who are bilingual, they very naturally grasp a very interesting concept that the same things may have completely different labels depending on the framework in which you are looking at it. Mm. So it's called, um, I actually don't remember the medical term, but it's some kind of flexibility, cognitive flexibility, I believe, is the term. So what I want to suggest is that you you suggested that we talk about authenticity, a huge luggage word, word, huge baggage word. I suggest to our listeners that uh, when you hear me talk about that, beep out the authenticity. Pretend like you've never heard this word before and listen to me. Try to see the essence of what I'm trying to say beyond the facade of the word. What am I trying to say? Because that might be a little bit different from what you maybe are used to hearing. So if that disclaimer is fine, I'll go now into answering your question. I hope you don't mind that I went took a detour into that. 
Not at all. I love it. I think you bring up such an important point. And that's something that I try to work with on this podcast all the time is the idea that there's so many buzzwords in the personal development and personal growth industry. And I just like how you explain how it very much colors the way that we see things and comes with so much baggage. So I agree with everything that you said. I love it. So no, yeah, yeah, no, authenticity, uh, authentic leadership. I know it's a favorite. um, uh, It's a favorite theme and and, and people like authenticity uh, in different expressions. Hmm. But I believe that authenticity is a relationship within yourself. And, um, you know, it's a little bit an oxymoron to ask, how do you increase your influence through authenticity? So if you look at it from a very, like, I'll, I'll make a very simple analogy, mechanical physics. If you take a ball, a balloon, and try to push it underwater, you will have two forces going in opposite direction. Your hand is pushing down, the water is pushing up. So authenticity is the force without direction because it's relationship with you. Whereas influence is the force, is a vector. There's you and you're trying to influence the outside world. So there is this vector, the influence, and then there is the object in the outside world which is going to change. Authenticity by its nature is not a vector because it's a relationship with yourself. So as you were saying, you know, how do I know that I am authentic? The thing is that you're the only person who knows if you're authentic because you can do things and you can be perceived or, uh, you know, uh, received by the world as if you're authentic, but you do not know if you are authentic or you're just using tricks to make people feel that you're authentic. So uh, it's it's a very interesting question that you ask me. And I think my answer to that question after the long winding journey, a short answer would be, who cares about their audience? Who cares about if you have a company? Who cares about if you have following? Authenticity is not about that. It's about, can you be in good relationship with yourself? Can you love yourself? Can you be at peace with yourself? And once you figure out your relationship with you, then your relationship with the world will change. That's for granted. But the causality is going only one way. We are sometimes tempted to believe that, you know, the outside world might change how we feel about ourselves. But this is an illusion. And we can go into that deeper later if you want. But just try to believe me that I'm saying that it is an illusion. It is your relationship with you, which defines your relationship with the world. So once you figure out this one relationship, everything else will fall into place. Interesting. I I absolutely love that because it completely turns on its head what we think of authenticity. And I, I like the point. I think the, what I like the most is that you. How do I say this? The perception of other people. Right. So like me being authentic might not be being really vulnerable. It might be being really brash and hard around the edges. I don't know, but some people might think that that's me putting on like a show when really that's just authentically who I am. I think there's, I think there's something about that perception, how other people see you that affects how and what they think authenticity should look like, I guess, is what I'm getting at. You know, I totally, I totally resonate with that because I believe that we live in the era of a little bit of a tyranny when it comes to vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. Because if you look into the essence of what vulnerability means, 
<laughs> That's another different topic. That's another <laughs> slippery slope. Then, you know, when somebody comes and tells you that vulnerability is exactly this, and if you're doing this, then you're being vulnerable. If you're not, then you're you're not. That, that's what I call vulnerability tyranny. So um, my favorite definition of vulnerability is by obviously by Brené Brown. She's the the queen of vulnerability. Uh, but if you listen to what she says beyond the facade of the words that she uses, then she has this. Uh, this definition of vulnerability. Vulnerability is, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to quote it properly, so forget, forgive me for that. But she says something along the lines is that vulnerability is willingness to make a step, to make a commitment, to make an action, to, to, you know, to interact with the world. Willingness to do that in the face of uncertainty. Hmm. If you don't know how the world is going to take it, it to take you. So the, the thing is that vulnerability, yes, it's about courage for sure but it's also about uncertainty because if there is no uncertainty, it's just courage. We have the word for that courage. Vulnerability is when you're brave in the face of uncertainty. You're willing to be the first one to say, I love you. You're willing to be the first one to come and say like, Hey, something is wrong. That's what's being vulnerable. And I'll give you just two examples. Why I say that we live in the era of vulnerability um, tyranny is because we have also learned to uh, to attach this baggage to vulnerability that it's about sharing your darkest secrets i've been on so many interviews where uh, the interview starts with like so tell me your biggest failure and what did you learn from that i'm like wait <laughs> and trust me if you know me well i say anything if it serves the point only if it serves the point, not, not for any other reason. But I will share the darkest secrets if I need to uh, illustrate something. Right. I won't do that for the sake of being vulnerable or appearing authentic because that goes against my grain. So what it's not, it's not about sharing your darkest secrets. It's not about being incredibly emotional. <laughs> right? It's about being brave in the safe of a, a space of uncertainty. And here I'll just give you two examples and you judge where I'm vulnerable. I really, I dearly love to joke. My favorite quote of all times is life is too important to be taken seriously. It's by Oscar Wilde. He's a genius. <laughs> and I'm, I tell jokes everywhere. And also because I was born in Soviet Union, I was brought up in Russian school. I know a lot of really silly idiotic <laughs> anecdotes, which I occasionally translate to people. <laughs> so my former husband, Vision, every time I went into, let me tell you a joke, he was like, oh my God, rolling his eyes, like, here you go again. Why do I do that? Because it eases the tension. Sometimes I do this because, you know, in the meeting when it's too tense and, and people are emotional or I meet someone. I want to break the ice. Uh, sometimes on stage because I'm scared, I tell a joke. But often I'm horrible. I'm not horrible, but often I am horrible. And the last time I told a joke, there was icy silence because the person didn't get it. Another scenario, I've, been, I've spoken on stage for quite a few years. So I have a few stories, personal stories, which I use to illustrate certain points. And some of them are personal and they do make me emotional. But I've told them from stage quite a few times. So I know exactly the reaction that I'm going to get out of my audience. And I use them because I need my listeners to go through a certain journey, through a certain experience. And while I don't like tearing up on stage, I occasionally go for that because I need a certain reaction. I need a certain result. So my question is, 
When am I more vulnerable? When I'm telling a silly joke without knowing if I'm going to be understood, or if I'm telling a very personal story because I need a certain reaction or a certain click with my audience? It's a question. <laughs> it's a trick question. Yeah. Yeah. I love the point that you're making. I've, I mean, I guess, I don't know, am I going to get it right that you're being vulnerable when you're telling a joke and you don't know how they're going to respond? <laughs> I personally feel much more vulnerable, yes, when I tell a joke. But I guess the point what I, that I was trying to say is that, you know, laughter and jest can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And tears are very often used for manipulation. Mm-hmm. If you have children, you know. <laughs> In my family, we call them crocodile tears. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, and, and I'm not saying that when people are uh, genuinely uh, emotional, uh, that, that, that it's necessarily crocodile tears. What I'm trying to say is that let's be a little bit more um, deep in our understanding of the phenomenon and not get distracted by the superficial things. Uh, so I don't remember actually which question I was answering, but we touched upon vulnerability and I went on my long rant on how, how we sometimes misunderstand things because we're so used to the way they are, they're being used in the conversations. Yes. And I like that because I think that gives a really clear example of what we're talking about. If we come back to the idea of authenticity and honestly, that was an important rant to go on because vulnerability is another one of those words in our industry. Um, especially around female entrepreneurs and marketing um, that I feel like can give the wrong impression. So if we're coming back to authenticity and the real the, the real essence of what it means, what the word means, and we're bringing that into being a leader, tell us about how understanding if authenticity is really having a clear, I think you define it as having a clear relationship with yourself, really understanding who you yourself is. How how does that affect how we can show up as leaders in the various spaces where we're leading and guiding people? Uh, you know, it's such an interesting cl- uh, link uh, when we're talking about that in the context of women leaders. Uh, I was just recently researching, uh, you know, there are so many gender gaps <laughs> in all areas of life. And one of the gaps is actually in, um, so I'm going to refer to uh, uh, social theory of roles. So it's social roles theory. So the theory says that pretty much we have different roles and our different roles require a different set of characteristics. So we women Uh, being a female, being a woman is a gender role that we play. And societies uh, usually have uh, certain expectations. What does it mean to be a a female, a woman? Uh, It usually means that you are more socially oriented, like emotionally, a little bit more maybe um, attuned to the the outside world. Maybe your emotional intelligence is higher. We are more uh, oriented on how people feel um, and Uh, On the other hand, there is a social role of being a leader. So the uh, expectations of uh, of, uh, leadership qualities are quite different. Uh, We usually expect leaders to be uh, determined, you know, goal-oriented, result-driven, and and, and this kind of things, which are quite the opposite from what what women are usually expected to be. So I just recently come across a very uh, curious research, actually there are quite a few of those, uh, which show that because uh, our uh, gender stereotypes are so contradictory to what people expect leaders to be, so because of that, 
it's really hard for a woman to exhibit uh, good leadership qualities without being judged negatively. Mm. Because somehow our role as a woman, our gender role takes priority over uh, over our role as a leader, which is such a such a tough uh, reality to face. That means that if you want to be a good leader by by the definition of the society, uh, you have a choice of uh, of not being uh, liked by quite a lot of people. <laughs> or can you actually be a good leader and still preserve all your feminine qualities, which I think is a much more interesting uh, journey. So uh, a few years ago, Pixar came up with this brilliant movie. It's, it's a short animated cartoon and I strand if you, if you, it and check it. It's called Furl. And that's exactly about that. It's, it's this idea that we women, very often when we get into a masculine world, the masculine world of, uh, well, traditional masculine world, it's not, it's not quite the same right now, but still uh, a lot of the stereotypes, traditions, expectations are based in the historical uh, hi- historical experience. So the masculine world of business, of leadership, of uh, running teams, of uh, setting like massive goals and going for them. Uh, we often, a lot of the times, women think that they have to become a little bit more masculine. Mm. And that's, if you look at any examples in pop culture, in, um, well, in books, very often women do lose some of that femininity in, when, when they step in into the role of a leader. Uh, which is an interesting thing. And I have nothing against that per se, as long as it is really you, as this is authentic to you. But if you are a very feminine person, this is going to chip away from you. So uh, it's it's actually really hard to, to talk without the video, but I hope <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to try. Yes. Uh, there is there is another uh, another pop culture uh, example that, what I, that that I want to bring because I just like illustrations. I think illustrations make it so much juicy, and you 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 get the point better. Uh, I was watching uh, X Men with my kids, and there's this character Mystique. She's uh, this mutant who's blue, and she changes shape so she can become anything and because her natural form is so odd and uh, she's completely blue with red head so to make herself more comfortable in the social setting she presents usually she presents herself as a blonde woman as a regular blonde woman so there is the scene where she's fighting as a blonde woman and then this other character walks by Magneto he's actually a main villain he looks at her and he goes very casually like you're wasting all this energy and trying to be something else where you could just be in your natural form and you'd be so much more stronger. Mm. And I think this is such a beautiful idea. So if becoming a little bit more of a, of a you know, tomboy <laughs> is, is your thing, and that's what, what makes you authentic, good. But for a lot of us women, unfortunately, stepping into the leadership position means uh, compromising uh, a little bit of ourself becoming something else, becoming something which is maybe not so natural to me, you know, focusing on something which is maybe a little bit not myself. So uh, I've been in business with my now former husband for for many years, for, for 18 years now, and he's a man and I'm a woman. And with years and experience, I came to realize that we have such different styles of being leaders and being in the team, leading the team. The people who thrive with me very often uh, don't do so well with him. Uh, 
And the people who do well with him often have really big troubles with me because I'm a very different type of leader. He is a very, uh, you know, role model type of leader. He's very driven, passionate, works a lot. I am a very less less as fair type of person. I don't like the rut. I don't like the hamster's wheel. And it took me years Years of trying to be someone else, years of taking example from, you know, from the public discourse, from what what everybody idolizes, you know, the hustle, there's this young, energetic uh, grit and and perseverance and, and never giving up. I tried all of that and I did that well because I'm a perfectionist by nature, but it was years later when at some point I allowed myself to just be me. And admit that maybe, yes, as a perfectionist, I could be a good CEO, but maybe I'm not such a great CEO and I could let someone else do that. So the moment, it was a few years ago when I decided that in my business, I'm only going to do the things that only I can do and no one else. And everything else I can either delegate or find contractors or hire a person. That's when everything started changing for me, for my business, for my mission in life. When I embraced my oddities, my differentness, my not (laughs) the opposite of what people admire, that's when I started thriving because I stopped trying to be something else and I focused on what makes me me. It's a very winding answer to your question. I'm sorry, but um, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope it answers something of it. It does. Yeah. And you actually started to answer the question that I had in mind was, well, first of all, first of all, everyone, when she said, I'll try to do this without video, it's because, or because we're currently not looking at each other because we want to make sure to get the best audio for you. So if you're confused about what she meant by that, that was that, but um, no, that's okay. This is, this is real, right? We're all humans and I'm podcasting right now from my bedroom on a couch. So (laughs) this is just the way it goes. But coming back to the conversation, um, I I love the dichotomy that you've pointed out between the feminine and the masculine and how being a woman inadvertently sort of puts us in an inauthentic place when we're in a leadership role because of, and maybe because of the way leadership is perceived, the same way the way authenticity is perceived and vulnerability is perceived. Um, And I think a lot of us feel that even just generally being a leader to ourselves in our own business. I think we, we recognize that struggle between the masculine and the feminine and being authentic, finding and holding on to that relationship we have with ourselves. That's true to who we are. Um, And so I like that you, you said that you started to embrace that, but what I'm wondering is like, what's the piece between that? Like, how did you come from recognizing that being that type of leader, that is what people perceive you or perceive leadership to be. How did you come from that to being able to embrace yourself authentically? Because I think that's where a lot of people struggle is, okay, I know this doesn't feel right, but I don't know how to allow myself to do it in a way that feels right and feels aligned. So can you give us maybe some, uh, you know, tips or strategies or a story Um, that can sort of help guide the listeners to make that transition for themselves. 
So in my case, it was an accident. Mm. Uh, in your case, you know the the, the piece of uh, idea that I just shared. I I didn't have that idea. So just to give you a little bit of background, I was born in Soviet Union, as I said. I actually grew up in that country. So it's a it was a very interesting country with a lot of pressure, social pressure on on what it is, what does it mean to be a good a good girl. So I was a straight A student for like forever, a perfectionist, as I said. So that's my background, you know, doing things really well, uh, striving, very ambitious, uh, and with a lot of pressure, like used to a lot of pressure from outside. Um, and um, it, it was my nature uh, for, for a really long time. It was closer to my 40s when I started feeling a little jaded and I realized that this, um, uh, this approach, perfectionism and, and doing things right and going for the right goals just doesn't make me happy. So I, uh, I'm lucky to be, as I said, less a stereotype of person. So I just gave up everything and took sabbatical for a few months. I literally slammed the door in the office and said, guys, goodbye. <laughs> And uh, it was, as I said, in my case, it was an accident. I just stopped trying so hard Mm. and uh, let it be for a while. And then it was like uh, opening my eyes and realizing something. Oh, my God, that's so much better than it was before. But now uh, going back to to the path, the exact steps, uh, in my uh, career as a business person, I had one period, it was about now, now maybe six years ago or seven years ago, uh, one of my businesses, which is uh, like the market was in Russia and Ukraine, went through really hard times. Uh, we were nearly bankrupt because Russia and Ukraine went into war, 70%, more than 70, 80% of our market literally <laughs> vanished overnight. Uh, there was inflation, economic crisis. It just coincided that I lost my business partner of many years. Uh, our biggest client. It was hard time. I literally thought our business was going to die, but uh, we pivoted. And uh, the moment when I took the hard decisions, cut off what was not necessary and and kept moving on, I suddenly felt, uh, you know, I suddenly felt again, like I have wings behind my back. I can do it. And I I switched on the, you know, this straight A student again, the perfectionist, the good girl, and started going believing in myself. And it was cool. It was really nice after being nearly bankrupt. But after a year, I still was in a dark, long, dark tunnel. And then another year passed. And the business was not failing completely, but it was. I was still in the long, dark tunnel. And uh, if you've seen that meme on internet where there are two miners going towards the the diamonds and one of them is uh, turning back halfway and another one keeps digging, keeps digging, the smart one keeps digging, then you will um, understand what I say when, uh, when, when I ask you, you know, when you're in this long, dark tunnel and you don't know where the diamonds are, your question is, am I being smart, persistent? And keep going, you know, or am I being a pig-headed idiot? Mm-hmm. And all I need to do is take a few steps back and find the door next to, you know, next to where I was digging. The thing is that on a meme on internet, it's so simple and clear, right? But if, if it's you in that long dark tunnel and it's second year or third year, it's, it's not as clear and it's not as obvious. 
So it was that time when I started doubting, am I really uh, so brilliant? You know, I'm a perfectionist. Yes, I managed to, to make a successful business and I made a career early and all of that, all that, all those, you know, things that we rely on saying like, yes, I can do that. Uh, but then at, at one point, I, I just got so jaded, as I said, you know, I slammed the door and I, I left a, a relatively young girl who just joined my team like a year or two ago. I said, you know, you're the CEO now. Let me go and try to find myself. And the surprising thing is that when I came, came back one year later, she managed to get the business uh, growing much faster than I did. <laughs> and that was my aha moment. I was like, oh, wow. You know, sometimes just because you can do something doesn't mean you have to do that. Mm. Um, and uh, just to end this idea, I'll, I'll share um a little experience we had. Uh, we were visiting Richard Branson on his island, uh, like I don't know, ten years ago. That 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 conversation was ten years ago. And um, Vision, my ex-husband, he asked uh, Branson. He said, "You know, you have so many businesses, like three hundred or something, and eight of them are billion-dollar businesses. How you're managing so much stuff?" And uh, Branson said, "You know, it's very simple. When I'm passionate about something, I find someone else who's passionate about the same thing." and can do the job. And then I get out of their way. Hmm. And I think it's such a brilliant advice. And I know it's tempting when you're alone, it's tempting to say, no, but I don't have a team, but just give it a try. If you really, like, you know, we grow up uh, as, you know how, when we grow up and our parents go to school, the teacher says, Christina is such a good girl. She does everything well. Mathematics is good. Physics is good. But, you know, her her English is not really good. She really needs to put more effort into grammar and, and you know, and we are taught put more effort into something that you're not good at. Hmm. And we grow up equating success to putting more effort into something which we are not good at. But imagine if my parents came to school and the teacher said that, yeah, she's doing well with this, this and this, but she's really enjoying physics and mathematics. She loves it so much and it comes naturally to her. Why doesn't she put more effort into this? How different our life would be. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we live in the paradigm where we are told that to reach success, you have to do the things that nobody else wants to do that you're bad at, that you don't enjoy. And occasionally, yes, I, I, I have to make a disclaimer. I'm not, I, I also work late hours. <laughs> My kids are going to bed right now. But, but it shouldn't be our default regime because creativity doesn't happen in a hamster's wheel. And business is ultimate form of creativity. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think... I think what it comes back to is this idea that being in an authentic relationship with yourself or knowing yourself authentically and, and who you are is really just knowing what you do and don't want to do. And then as a leader, bringing, bringing that to your space, but then also knowing how to bring other people in or knowing this is not authentic to me. So I'm going to have someone else who this is authentic to do this instead. That and one more little ingredient, being at peace with you, not being your perfect you. Hmm. Because it's, you know, um, there's one thing for me to find someone who is better at bookkeeping, and I don't like that too much, or who's better at copywriting, let's say. I don't like writing copy on sales pages. But another thing is to admit to yourself, oh, maybe 
despite me being a pretty decent entrepreneur, maybe I'm not such a good manager and executive officer. That, that you know, it's the hardest thing is to be at peace with that uh, aspect of yourself, mm-hmm. to, to suddenly say like, you know what, maybe, and that's fine. That doesn't make me a failure as an entrepreneur. It doesn't make me a failure as a speaker, as an author, all the other things that I am. And I think this is the hardest about being authentic leader is just being at peace with not being perfect, with sometimes being at peace with the fact that some people can't work with you, with being at peace uh, that sometimes, you know, business doesn't work out the way you, uh, you wanted it to work out. It's, it's literally this kindness towards yourself uh, that, that I think what allows you to be really authentic, uh, well, express yourself the way you are mm. uh, um, uh, with other people, especially the, with, with people who depend on you because, you know, their salaries depend on you, clients depend on you, your, your uh, customers depend on you. So it's, it's a very responsible position and it takes courage to, to, uh, to suddenly say like, yeah, so what? We'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, totally agree with that. Especially, I think as women, no matter what culture you come from, I think most listeners will agree with the experience you had of growing up in terms of the general idea of, you know, being perfect, getting it right, getting the straight A's. So many of us entrepreneurs were those people. And that's why we're great entrepreneurs because we push ourselves and we know how to do things well and we don't accept the status quo. But at the same time, I think. It's, as you sort of shared, it's one of those things that can hold us back. And so I just like the stories that you've shared of how you experienced that. But at the same time, when you allowed yourself to let go of this perceived idea of what it means to be a leader or what you have to do to be a leader or to be successful in your business is is really when it sounds like to me, you became the happiest and really the most successful in your business. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's, uh, you know, it's that it's, it's funny because I speak about authenticity and happiness, but I think it's pretty much the same. If you can just allow yourself to be you and be at peace with that, suddenly life is going to be so beautiful. <laughs> You'll get the meaning of bliss and happiness because there's nothing, nothing worse than trying so hard to be something that you're not. Mm. Yep. I can agree more. Well, oh, and by the way, a lot of people who are listening to us are probably very um, ambitious people who who value growth and and you know transformation. Uh, so I have to make this disclaimer: just because you are at peace with what you are right now, doesn't mean that you don't want to become better. Hmm. Doesn't mean that you don't you can't work on becoming better. But it's like with a map. You know how your navigation system in the car works. You don't just drop a pin. I want to be there, and you drop there from out of space. You have a point A and a point B. You have to define point A. If you can't open your eyes and see your point A and your point A is your current version of you, be at peace with that and admit that this is where you start your journey and still love it, then point B is going to be quite a struggle, to be honest. So it's not a contradictory idea. You can want to be a better person, but can you please love what you have right now? Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to, I honestly want to wrap up there because I feel like, I feel like we really brought everyone through all they need to know, which is exactly what you just said. You can work to be better, but you can grow 
But being an authentic leader is knowing what's true to you and really understanding that relationship first and foremost and how that translates to the work you do. So um, I'm just so appreciative of everything that you've shared today. And I'm wondering if there is one, like if, if listeners were to walk away with only one thing from this, from this conversation, uh, what would that one thing, what would you want to make sure that is? Well, a short answer is uh, be kind to yourself. Mm. Uh, Kindness is such a uh, great quality and a slightly longer answer in line with what we were talking. You know, my experience in personal growth is about 18 years. I've, I've learned with the best teachers. I've, I've had so many experiences. And one thing that I've learned uh, over all those years is that, you know, when you are at peace with yourself, it's much easier to be at peace with the world. Mm-hmm. If everything in the world triggers you, it's usually because something within you triggers you. And I don't want to go deeper into this conversation because it's a, it's, it's a slightly... Um, more complex topic to to completely open up, but just trust me, if you can love yourself, loving the world will be much easier. If you can be kind to yourself, being kind to the world is going to be so much easier. You are as tolerant to the world as you're tolerant to yourself. Your relationship to the world is actually the mirror of your relationship with self. So if you have any troubles with the world, look inside yourself and fix this within yourself, then the world will fall into place. And the bringing it back in the circle. Be kind to yourself. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. And shifting gears as we wrap up this conversation, uh, I like to ask every guest this question. Tell me what you're getting intentional about right now. <laughs> me? Yes. <laughs> I gave I, I gave a promise uh, a few months ago from stage. Uh, I said, I'm going to, whenever people ask me what I'm passionate about, I'm going to answer this. I'm passionate about figuring out my own happiness. <laughs> and it was a very uh, weird uh, promise because I, it, it, I don't want to give you the whole context. It's too, too, too long and too complex. But I think happiness is super important and undervalued by the contemporary society. But I gave this promise a few months ago on stage to thousands of people, and I keep it. I'm very passionate about figuring out my own happiness. I love that. I think that's an important thing to be passionate about. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, finally, where can listeners connect with you? Well, obviously, because I'm a co-founder of Mind Valley, I have to say, come to Mind Valley. We have a lot of amazing authors there, and I'm one of them. Uh, but if you want personally me, my voice, uh, you know, my personal touch in everything, then obviously it's my Instagram account. That's where everybody is right now. Perfect. Same with me. Um, <laughs> thank you again so much for being here with us, Christina. I, I just, I feel like I don't often get... Uh, guests who tell such great stories and really illustrate things in such a unique and really clear way. So I really just appreciate everything that you brought to us today. Thank you so much. And thank you listeners for being here with us. We will catch you on another episode of Mindset Reset Radio.